Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we continue through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we reach a significant point of Paul addressing their concern over his suffering. For much of the church in the modern world, suffering for Christ is a foreign concept. And today we'll examine what Paul means when he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Thanks for listening. At my daughter's preschool, uh, she has craft projects every week, every day that she gets to do. And it's got to be one of my most favorite things to have her, as she's unloading her backpack, take the pictures and say, Daddy, look what I made you today. I just love it. Hang, I, I keep them. I hang them all around my office, put them on the fridge. I hope it never, never stops. I know probably someday it'll have to. but Except this one day in particular, uh, the teacher did not uh, have them to draw pictures Instead, the teacher had them make bracelets. And so Sadie came and said, Daddy, here's your bracelet. (laughs) And this was a couple months ago, and I remember thinking, oh, that's sweet, but you should give that to your mom, because Daddy doesn't wear bracelets. Um, But she said, no, Daddy, you'll look so pretty if you wear a bracelet. (laughs) So when your daughter gives you a bracelet, folks, you wear it proudly. And sure enough, I discovered wearing this pretty little pink and pastel colored bracelet here that I had some folks telling me, hey, pastor, nice bracelet you got there. You look kind of pretty. Yeah. Um, you, you receive a, a few comments here or there, but you know what I discovered? As soon as I stopped caring what other people thought, I had so much pride in wearing this bracelet because it came from my little girl. And I didn't care what anybody says. I don't care what anyone thinks of it. This, for me, represents the love of one who desired to give it to me. And that matters more to me than what anyone could say. You know, I see a parallel here in how we do or do not wear Jesus Christ. Uh, For a lot of us, we have been stifled by fear in this world. We have been hindered by the concerns of what other people will think of us. What would we look like if they knew we were Christians? I think that God has delivered this particular message at this particular time because for so many of us, the holiday season is one where the dividing lines of allegiance really become a little bit more on the surface. Is this a happy holidays type of season for you? Or is this the birth of your king that you are celebrating? And you are going to have the opportunity amongst family members because we all, that's what Christmas is about, right? We all get to go travel and see family. And for many of you, that's going to be interspersed with folks who do not want anything to do with Jesus the Jesus of Christmas. They want nothing to do with it. And that's kind of a hard thing to do uh, when you sit down at the dinner table and have to to represent your faith. Are you going to take a stand for Jesus? Are you going to let folks know that you're a follower of Jesus? Or are you going to be tempted to maybe cover it up for what they might think or what they might say? Not only in our families, but this is true in our workplaces as well. As we look around, you will see all kinds of things that have been and are symbols of our hope, And our peace that we find in Jesus Christ. But unfortunately so many of them. The world has changed. And has nullified. And has turned into something that now only has meaning. For Kmart and Walmart and Amazon. It's about time we reclaim that. But that won't happen. If you and I are controlled by fear. Now this is what it means. If you take a stand for Jesus Christ, you might have some people start to point that out in your life. 
Are you willing to undergo a little bit of persecution? Are you willing to undergo a little bit of scorn? Maybe people will think less of you. Are you willing for the sake of Christ to go through that? I'm calling this message suffering, the suffering of the people of God. And we're going to continue in our study through the book of Philippians. We're going to continue in chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask if you'll take them out and follow along with me now. Page 1826 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to be reading from verses 12 through 26. As you're turning there, I very simply want to just remind you of where we've been already in Philippians. Paul has showed his primary reason for writing this letter is his partnership with the Philippian church. And the challenge from last week is that we need to see beyond the scope of our own uh, four walls, our own denominational traditions to see the family of God needs more active partnerships. And we need to pray for our other brothers and sisters, both locally, nationally, and internationally. For the international waters are the places where so many of them have to give up the comforts that you and I carry. But this for Paul is tantamount to say, every time I pray with you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And my desire is that because we have a partnership, your love will abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. And that's where we were last week. Now we're going to continue in verse 12. Paul writes this. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's been, become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always... Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain In the body, convinced of this, I know I will remain. And will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. That's our our reading for today. This is our passage to focus on. I, I hope that you even caught as we heard Nikki read for us in the Old Testament. Even though there be no grapes on the vine. Even though there is no harvest or food that comes from the fields, yet I will continue to rejoice. 
and out of 1 Peter chapter 4 to recognize that suffering is something that is given to the believer. You don't hear that too many times when folks ask, hey, you want to join the church? Want to come suffer with us? We don't hear that as the invitation, but we ought to. We ought to recognize that an allegiance to Christ means a foreignness to the world that we live in. Paul knew that well. Do you remember where he's writing this from? He's not sitting in his lazy boy. He's in jail. He's under house arrest, chained to another guard, working shifts around the clock, being chained to the next one. Well, you'll just know that is one place you as the guard wish you were chained to anybody else than the Apostle Paul, because of course you're going to hear all about Jesus the whole time. I love that. In fact, Paul wants to begin by having us understand that what the church thought was a negative. They thought him getting locked up was bad. Paul wants to correct that thinking. Um, I'm going to do a top 10 again. All right. Top 10 reasons here why suffering for Christ will produce fruit of righteousness. And and we're going to look at what those are. The very first one we find here in verse 12 is cultivation. Suffering for Christ will produce a cultivation. Look what he said. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Think with me about what a farmer does, whether in the fall or in the spring. Before those seeds find opportunity to take root, what's he got to do to the soil? He's got to cultivate the soil. He's got to take the tractor in, and that soil that's just relaxing, having a good time, gets that furrow put right into it to turn it over. i got to imagine that if I was the soil, that might feel like a kind of suffering. I, I was minding my own business here. What, what gives? Tractor comes over me and makes all of this painful turning over of the soil. But it's not without that process. It's not without that suffering that that seed won't find root. And so suffering actually produces a cultivating aspect of our faith. It produces opportunity for the seeds of the gospel to find root. Paul begins here in verse 12 with this concept of having the church understand, look, I'm not in jail and that hasn't stopped the gospel. It's actually served to advance the gospel. I want you to uh, hear the quote from the third century um, theologian Tertullian. And maybe you've heard this before. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We wouldn't be here today had it not been for men and women willing to die, willing to suffer for the faith because the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. It's a cultivating aspect. How very opposite though to think, right? In our culture today, that's not what we want to hear. I want to have all my needs met. I want to have my life strained out. I want to have my banking account increase. I want my promotion. And we have too many preachers delivering that lie to Christians, saying that's what Christ's greatest goal in your life is. It is not. Your happiness is inconsequential to the greatest need of salvation. In fact, if you going through suffering would lead to the salvation of your soul, may God help you suffer well. For if your happiness prevents you from ever crying out to the King of Kings, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Suffering is a cultivating work that calls us to cry out to God and finds a seed for the gospel. Number nine is this. It produces clarity. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, as a result, as a result of what? Well, it's as a result of me being locked up and the gospel advancing. Here's the result. It has become clear 
through the whole palace guard that he has been put in chains for Christ. Did you know that suffering really clarifies things for you? It it really uh, wakens you up. I remember when my wife and I were uh, just interns as missionaries, before we were married, but both serving over on the mission field. Uh, We were working on building housing, and we were doing roofing on this particular week. And anybody who's done roofing with uh, nails, not the guns that are so easy, but with nails knows these thumbs are always in the way. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so real early in the morning, and if you're up there and you're just a little groggy, do you know what will wake you up quicker than anything? A little bit of suffering. Do you know that's what it does? Suffering really produces a clarifying aspect that has us begin to reorganize our priorities. Because when you suffer for Christ, you're really now given the question of, is it worth it or not? Am I willing to go through this or not? Suffering for Christ will produce clarity. Number eight, will produce a confidence. I want you to see this result. This for me is, I don't believe this is the center of the message that we're going to get to, but to me it's incredible. Verse 14, he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You wouldn't have expected that. I would have thought the Apostle Paul would have written, because of my chains, most of us are in hiding now. And the church has scattered underground. Now we see that happening in some other countries. We, we know that that's what happens when persecution shows up. That's not what's happening here. Because suffering for Jesus Christ, it will produce a, a confidence in God. The brothers in Christ are more confident to preach without fear. Look, this is all they can do to Paul. What have we to fear? Let's go. Come on, guys. Let's go. Let's preach. Let's proclaim. Because we see that here our apostle is suffering. We can do no less than him. And they get this fearlessness that causes them to just disband out into the world, proclaiming the wonders and the loyalty of Jesus Christ. That did not come from getting a paycheck. That did not come from getting a promotion. I want us all to recognize That suffering here is what produced the confidence. I want you to know, though, this is not a confidence in Paul. This is not a confidence in themselves. This is rightly placed a confidence in God. When I was, again, in college, I took a um, rock climbing class because you got to try to be well-rounded when you go to college, right? So I, I thought that sounds awesome. I'd love to go rock climbing. And so we, with our instructor, went out. We got all of the gear and all the harnesses and we're told all the instructions and um, on belay and belay on and up, you know, you, you start climbing up. And I, as a kid, just loved to climb all the time, but never had ropes, never had a harness. So I'm, you know, super big shot confident, right? That's, you know, just me. Look at Spider-Man kind of going up. Um, but then I realized I'm actually higher than I've ever been and the ground's looking a little bit smaller. And you know, that's the number one rule when you're rock climbing, never look Number one rule, yes. And so there you go, and suddenly I'm a little bit nervous, right? A little bit more afraid. I'm feeling the pressure of what I'm facing. I'm thinking about calling it quits, and then my hand slips a little bit. But you know what happened? My harness kicked in. I, I didn't feel the harness until then. When I was all on my own, I had thought I had the confidence. I thought I was the one in charge. It wasn't until the slip. It wasn't until the little bit of fear crept in. That that harness was there. And as soon as I felt that harness, do you know what I had? 
I had confidence to continue because I knew I was going to be okay. I knew nothing could touch me. But I didn't have that awareness until the moment of testing. This is the same it is for us as Christians. If you and I only ever look at suffering for Christ at a distance, believe me, you're going to have a a ton of confidence in yourself because you will have never been tested to see that God will be the one upholding you. God will be the one to sustain you and continue to lift you up. It's not by your effort. Our confidence is not in ourselves. But it is only through recognizing suffering that we have our perspectives changed. We begin to get clarity and we begin to grow a confidence in in our Lord. Number seven, suffering for Jesus will produce a contending Uh, This shows up here at the end of verse 14 uh, because now they're going to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. Uh, In Jude uh, chapter 1 verse 3, he says to the church to contend for the faith. I love that word contend. It reminds me of like 1940s boxing. In this corner, we have the contender. Right? It makes me think of that because that's what a contender is. It's somebody who's going to fight. I, I, I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to go toe to toe and I'm going to fight. I'm going to work. I'm gonna, it might, I might receive some punches for it, but I'm willing to go. That's exactly what we see happening in verse 14. More courageously, more fearlessly. I don't know where you're all headed for the holiday season. I don't know those moments around the dinner table where you're going to have that angst, that you know, that anxiety of feeling like, oh, I got to uh, they, no one's going to pray. Well, I'll, I'll pray. And, you know, if we're honest, those are, those are difficult moments. I want you to have the conviction in your heart to contend for the faith. Be willing to fight for Christ, to stand up for Christ, not to be ashamed of his love in your life. When, when I was in high school, I played uh, football. And uh, I, anyone else? Just show of hands here. Fo- football players in high school. So one of the things that uh, I, I had... Before a game, I had jitters. You guys know what that's like? Oh, I was nervous. I was anxious. I just couldn't settle down, right? Until the first, until that first hit. You know what? If you don't play football, you're missing this illustration completely, right? <laughs> but, but you don't know what it's going to feel like to get hit by the other team. You don't know what that's going to feel like. And the, the fear of what it might be like is so much greater than what it is actually like. It's not until you go through that first hit that all my anxiety fell off. I was like, let's go. All right, game on. Because it was the fear of the unknown that was far more petrifying, far more stagnating and hindering to my life than the actual pain of the hit. Suffering, it will open this up for us. And and if we're never willing to go, if we're never willing to get in the game, uh, we will find that we will lack this conviction. We will not be contending for the faith. The fear will stop us short. Jesus says, don't fear the one who can uh, just kill the body. Fear the one who could kill the body and the soul. That's God alone is the only one you need to fear. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that we have not been given the spirit of fear, but the spirit of sonship that caused us to cry out, Abba, Father. The writer of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 2, that Jesus became man, the incarnation, Christmas time, so that he might destroy the one who has held those who have always their whole life been in fear of death. Has we been held slavery? That is the devil. 
Folks, you have nothing to fear. You can contend for the faith. All right, number six. It produces a certainty. In verse 20, if we jump ahead, you'll see. He says, I eagerly expect. Or, I'm sorry, 19. I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. There is this confidence, this certainty that comes from knowing suffering reveals that I am one of God's own. I, I just, I, you know, normally I'd say, I don't have time to do it, but too bad. I'm going to do it anyways. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Turn, hold your spot here. Go to the book of Hebrews. You, you just need to see this. When, what suffering looks like in the life of the Christian is a validation of your sonship. Hebrews chapter 12. We ought not shrink away from from suffering. We ought not avoid it because we're afraid. But we need to recognize that it is God's validation of our sonship in his life. Hebrews chapter 12. 1877. Page 1877 in the Pew Bibles. I, I'd like you to start in verse 4. And I'm just going to read through it. Here's what I want you to recognize. I want you to see the connection between suffering and sonship. Okay? Here we go. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. Do you see that? Endure hardship as discipline. It's, it's not this extra thing, and this is something that I hear many times. It's the devil. Oh, it's the devil. And, and I want to say, look, the devil's got no control that God has not allowed for. And so, yes, don't get me wrong. The devil is to blame. He will pay someday. But don't let for a moment think that the devil has somehow usurped God's ability to control the results of the circumstance. He is on a tight leash. And he will be used by the Almighty to strengthen us. So that which happens to us is never beyond the scope of God's loving gaze. Endure hardship as what? As discipline. Let's continue. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Any amens there? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Look, when you're going through hardship, whatever that might be, any little bit of scorn, any little bit of rejection, hear me now, Jesus Christ went through it first. Jesus Christ knows better than anybody what it means to be scorned for the sake of the kingdom, for the righteousness of God. And so when you get treated the same way, You are found in his company. The Son of God welcomes you as an adopted brother or sister. Welcome to the family. Let's suffer together. I want you to see it as God's loving care in your life. 
And again, something that we ought not keep far away. For the Apostle Paul, it has produced in him a certainty. Back to Philippians now. Philippians 1, again in verse 19, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Number five, courage. I love this one. It produces courage. Paul says in verse 20 that I eagerly expect and hope I will in no way be put ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's just make sure we understand. Very unlikely the case. Any one of us in here will ever have to pay with our lives for our faith. The Apostle Paul was willing to do so. If he is up here as our teacher, no student is above their teacher. So we're down here somewhere. If he was willing to do it, we need to follow under that same discipline. Paul needed courage. Church, this is my prayer for you as well. Be courageous. For me with Sadie, it was a question of love. Yeah, it's a little thing. I don't care if people think I look pretty with a bracelet because I love my daughter. And I know that this represents her love for me. You are going to be tempted to take Jesus off in the marketplace of this world around those who scorn him. In order to keep wearing him, you need courage. And Paul says the same thing. I pray that I will have sufficient courage so that Christ will be exalted in my body. He knew what it was to suffer. And if he's willing to do it, folks, let us be on board with him. Let us take that same measure from his followers that say, all right, I'm more courageous. If he went through it, I'll fearlessly head down that same path. Courage. There's there's more I'd like to say, but we'll save that for a Bible study on Wednesday. All right, number four. It produces a correction in thinking. I want to spend just a little time on this one. Verse 21, critical passage. It's up there in the top 10 most important passages in your New Testament. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I've been to a lot of funerals, especially a funeral where the individual is not a regular coach, uh, church goer. There are, there's a lot of tears, and there is a lot of sorrow. It ought not be. It's okay for us to feel sad that we're missing out on this time with them. But listen to Paul. For him to live is Christ, and die is? It's gain. It's not down. It's not lower. It's not less. It's not a detraction. The Apostle Paul is working to recorrect the mind of the church. Oh, poor guy got locked up in jail. It's the worst thing that could happen. No. This is advancing the gospel. Well, you, you might die. Great. That's gain. There, there is no downside for the believer. But see, you and I, we don't live in a world that patterns our thinking. You and I have been conformed to think like the world. You need to get rich now or die trying. You need to grab as much as you can here and now because when it's gone, it's gone. Are you kidding me? What candle did we light? Hope and peace. The individual who does not know how to look to the glories of heaven has no peace. They only have anxiety over making sure they can get the best sale right now and they have no hope. They have nothing to look forward to. Uh, My wife and I did Christmas shopping Yesterday, and we went to Shopco, and we didn't know that the entire county would be at Shopco. <laughs> I've, I've never seen lines. I'm telling you, lines, folks. And you know, you know how patient I am. I'm just, 
No problem. Um, I actually do my best shopping in line. Any other guys with me there? I didn't know I needed gum until I was in line. <laughs> Batteries! I do my best shopping when I'm standing in line. And when you're Christmas shopping, you want to try to get it all done. That's kind of the goal. I mean, let's knock this thing out of, oh, right now. So if you get to the cashier, the cashier looks at that cart and just says, you've done well. Look at all this here, right? You really made out well. Well done is what you want to hear from the cashier as you're working through the line. Um, I want to change this metaphor a little bit. You and I are all in a line. There's a checkout ahead of us. Every one of us. There, there is a day that you will expire. There's a day that you will check out. Now, here's the thing. We don't know the order of the line. But all of us are in here, we're in a line. Some of us are ahead of the others. Some of us are behind you, right? We don't know where we're at. But here's the deal. While you are in line, Jesus Christ, by the pouring out of his blood, he has given you a cart in life. And in your cart, in life, you and I are tasked to glorify him. And every time on earth we glorify Jesus Christ, that's like taking a little something off the shelf and putting it in our cart. Every time you take a stand for the fame of Jesus Christ, this is like another little something in your basket as you are pushing your way towards the checkout. And here's the problem. There's far too many people who because of fear or because of what other people might think or we don't have enough money or I could never be a missionary, your cart is woefully empty. And there just isn't as much in there that you are responding to the work that God's prepared in advance for us to walk in. He's left us here. He set up good works for us to be a part of. These are the fruits of righteousness that the Bible speaks of. And the goal is that when you reach that day of checkout, the whole time I've been in the line, it's all about Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and the checkout is what? And you want that cashier to look at you. You want God Almighty to look at you and say the words, well done. Well done. Look at this. This is what we're trying to focus in on. We need to correct our thinking. You have nothing you can lose in this life. You only have gain. And we're all in a line. Use this time to take every opportunity Fill up that cart for Jesus Christ. All right. What are we on? Number what? Number three. There's a calling. If you look with me in verse 22, after he says, uh, for me to live as Christ to die is gain, he says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Um, I'll just be brief on this, but retirement is not retirement. There's no such thing as retirement for the believer. Um, There's no setting the the shopping cart on cruise control. I'm making my way to the checkout. Yeah, you are making your way to the checkout. Get busy while you're in line. Uh, For Paul, it was a calling. He was convinced. I know if I'm to remain in the body, again, living for Christ, it will mean fruitful. What? What was that word? Labor. That's exactly right. God's not through with you. I don't care where you're at, whether you're still in your 60s trying to bring that paycheck home or whether you have served hard and worked hard all those years and now it's time for retirement. There is no retirement in Christ. If you're to go on living, it's a calling in your life. That means you don't get paid for it. I I do this for free. 
No, no one has to ask me to do this. No one has to say, hey, you, you know, I'll give you 30 bucks if you uh, sing a praise song in church. All right, 25. <laughs> Nobody has to do that. We worship God because it's our calling. And every one of you has a gift. For Paul, it was this apostolic instructing on the gospel. He knew that he's to go on living. I got a work to do if I'm to go on living. I, I want you to know there's a lot of hope in this. Here's why. What it means is that the day of your expiration, whenever that comes, it means your race is up. You, you've served God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You, you, you finished your race. You fought the fight like a contender. There, there is an ought not to be for the believer any sense of concern or regret that would come from a life lived for Jesus Christ. Because suffering for him produces a calling. I know what I am here to do. Number two, we're almost there. It produces a conviction. Verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know I will remain. Uh, when we suffer, uh, it, it is very convincing. We know what it is that we need to do. Uh, if you're not suffering, you may find it a little bit harder to recognize what it is that you need to do. I had a toothache a while back. The pain and suffering of the toothache made me go where? Now, whether or not I like it or not, uh, because I'm a big baby, um, that's what suffering will do. It will bring this, this clarifying. It will produce conviction in your heart to say, I know what it is that I need to do. Again, like that first hit in football, I'm not going to be afraid of what I'm facing because the fear of the unknown is far worse than the actual pain of going through it. If you live for Jesus Christ, it's a calling in your life and it will produce a convicting work of action in your heart. Number one, here we go. This is a big one. Contrition. There was a passage that, that I skipped over and I want to, I just want to reference it because it's very important. Paul said earlier in verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Did you catch that part? We, we haven't spent a lot of time on it, but it's kind of, well, what's he doing here? Some people are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. He said, some do in goodwill, the later do so in love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, I'll just tell you this. The Apostle Paul is not somebody you want to quarrel with. He will he'll kick your tail. I mean, this is a guy who's convinced that his own righteousness, according to the law, was faultless. You couldn't hold a candle to Paul. And so if you were going to try to be the preacher in the town where Paul was, he was going to let you know something. He was the apostle there. But here's what's happening. He's in jail. And so now there's other people in the vacuum of Paul's ministry saying, now's our chance. Now let, let's get in there. And, and let's really get in and start to you know, get some of uh, this, this preaching time that he's been hogging. Earlier in Paul's life, I believe he would have been... Uh, Jealous of that. Earlier in Paul's life, I believe he, he would have been intimidated by that. But not now. N not after he's experienced suffering. Because suffering will produce in the Christian's life contrition. That, that's just a word that means humility. And I want you to see his response in verse 18. This is beautiful. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. The greatest elevation in the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul 
was not what he could gain, but what could be gained for Jesus Christ. Do do, do you see the difference we need to make in our hearts? John the Baptist said this of Jesus, I must decrease. He must increase. That, that That is a level of humility that comes with suffering. Do you remember what happened to John the Baptist? Remember what happened to him? Also locked up in prison. Where's Paul again? Also in prison. Both of these men suffering for the glory of God. Both of them recognizing suffering produces a humbling in our hearts and our lives. So what do we do with this? I, I just very briefly want to offer you three things. When I want to ask you the question, do you live for you or do you live for Christ? And if God asked you to take a public stand for him, stick your neck out on the line, are you willing to do it? Here's what we need to do to obey this today. Number one, I want you to pray for courage. Paul did. Paul says, I I pray after being convinced of the help of the Spirit that he would have sufficient courage so that Christ would be exalted in his body. So whatever that means for you, I don't know the family event you're going to go to. I don't know what your work environment looks like. But I know that you are here to be a witness for the glory of Christ. So whatever that means, it begins by you praying for courage. God, give me courage. Help me to take a stand. Help me to not be ashamed. Secondly, after you pray, I want you to not fear. And we see this twice in here. In verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is what again? Yeah, so what could be worse than death? Public speaking, maybe, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing. If that's as bad as it gets, then you have nothing to fear. In fact, I just want to remind you once more, verse 14, one more time, look back with me. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Don't have any fear. You have nothing to fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of sonship. When you undergo hardship, it's his loving discipline because you are his child. Take hope in that. Don't fear from that. Pray for courage. Do not fear. And lastly, wear Christ boldly. Wear Christ boldly. Paul says, as he concludes, he says, I know it's more, verse 24, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress of joy in the faith. Paul was ready to keep going. I'm going to keep going, he said. I'm going to wear this. I don't care who sees it. I don't care. Because the love of Jesus Christ has so compelled me that I value myself as worth nothing compared to Jesus Christ. May I be willing to lift him high. Amen, church? Amen.